0: Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and Dungeon Delve, science fiction, watch yourselves! Hi everybody, I'm Ray Otis and it's time for another Plundergrounds. The first thing I wanted to talk about today was just how happy I am. That a lot of people have picked up this little structural challenge that I threw out there called Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, and Something Blue. Logan Howard of the Swordbreaker podcast did it. Uh, Rob C. of Down in a Heap did it. Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor did it. And Shay Webster of Roleplay Rescue is the most recent one to put out a podcast under that structure. Um I'm obviously not trying to infect the whole potosphere and make everybody do it. <laughs> it's just a little bit of fun that I was having, and uh, I think it it's always cool to have a little nudge from other anchorites, a uh, topic that gets thrown out or a structural idea um, that catches on, that helps you produce something. So I'm really hoping that I'll hear more of these. Uh, I'm really going to... Give a strong nudge to some of those people out there that haven't put out in the podcast in a while. Uh, Frank T., I'm looking at you. Um, I'd love to hear from you. DM Dad, man, please come out of retirement. (laughs) I don't know if you listen to this, but yeah, I was sad to hear that you were hanging it up. Uh, Yeah, some other people who haven't done one in a while. If you just need a little bit of inspiration, there you go. There's there's a, a very easy structure to pour your words into. Something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. And that can be, of course, something out of the blue. But if you really want to nail that one on the head, maybe you could do a Holmes Blue Book D&D. <laughs> the second thing I wanted to talk about was making your monsters a little bit more interesting in challenges. And this was just something I was thinking about on my walk today. Uh, that there is a discrepancy between the way characters come into an encounter and the way monsters come into an encounter in that characters often arrive at an encounter somehow injured or depleted. That's part of the game, right? That they got to know when to call it quits. Uh, but they quite often are, are down at some hit points, um, out of their full complement of spells, um, you know, low on missile or ammo, whatever it is, they are somehow depleted. But, unlike characters, monsters seem to always come to a fight fresh. Why is that? That's silly. Uh, They have obviously not been in stasis, just waiting on adventurers to come by. Um, Although often, that's the way we play them. You know, um, bugbears uh, perennially sit around a table, rolling dice, until characters show up, uh, and then jump up, flipping the table over to attack. (laughs) Uh, But So here are some ideas just thinking about Uh, putting monsters in a uh, compromised state when characters find them. Monsters could be drunk. You know, those same bugbears that were sitting around rolling dice have been swilling grog or whatever that whole time, and when characters show up, maybe they jump to their feet, knocking over the table, and it's pretty evident that they are unsteady on their feet. So uh, they fight with reckless abandon, but they also aren't uh, very good at uh, you know, they aren't maybe they have a disadvantage to hit or or um you have an advantage against them to hit them something like that yeah you know, some real simple mechanic to kind of represent the fact that they're drunk uh or that or that on a critical hit they fall over um you know and and uh, knock their heads on the wall or pass out or just or vomit in the corner or whatever um injured of course is another way to play them you know that's i've seen this before as a way to introduce a dragon to a lower level party which is to have an injured dragon but you know that's pretty dramatic in the sense that you're going to the right to the top level there. Why not knock a few hit points off of you know half of the things that players encounter and just say like okay well this guy's been in a few scrapes he's got some you know he has got some scars and some fresh wounds and and uh, you know you and behind the screen you you knock him down to two thirds of his hit points or half of his hit points. The uh, other thing on that s- same vein is. That It's not just hit points, right? You want to have them depleted of good weapons, like maybe they have a broken sword or, or rusty equipment or uh, depleted of spells. Maybe they fired off some of their best spells that day. And there's a kind of interesting bits to explore there, which is, where have they been? What what did they just get in a fight with? Why are their spells gone? And asking those questions of yourself might make your dungeon more interesting and more alive, because it means things are happening off screen, uh, when the players aren't there, that the dungeon is still in motion and things are happening in it. Finally, I'll say that um, this goes along the same line as morale. You know, people say use morale and when monsters are down half of their numbers or whatever role to see if they flee. It's especially important for things like kobolds and goblins. But along those same lines... I would say make sure you know what the monsters want. What What is their instinct? Um, what is their agenda? It's not always to kill and eat the characters, right? I mean, not every monster is out just to kill PCs uh, and or eat them. They probably have other agenda. Maybe their agenda is to keep them holed up in a place or drive them towards a specific trap or room. Maybe their agenda is to just... Um, attack long enough to let somebody in their party escape to warn others. Maybe they want to take something from the characters and as soon as they get that thing, they will run with it rather than trying to finish off the characters. So, spend a little bit of time thinking about what the monsters want and then play the combat to what they want instead of just saying alright, that's initiative, let's fight until it's not interesting to fight anymore until there's enough you know, uh, monsters on the floor or characters on the floor to call it quits. Uh, make your combats a little more interesting than that. The final thing I wanted to talk about today, and yes, I'm going to keep it short and punchy uh, for this Monday morning. I'm uh, in good spirits, high energy, got my walk in this morning, Um, and to be fair, I hope my in-laws never listen to this podcast, but they're leaving tomorrow, and they've been in our house for uh, almost two weeks, (laughs) and uh, I'm excited (laughs) <laughs> for them to leave. <laughs> I love my in laws. They're great people, but having anybody in your house for that long is a little rough. And uh you know, as um as parents age they present more problems, right? Um and so we're at that time of our life, my wife and I, where we're looking at our parents and realizing that their needs are changing and that we have to kind of step up a little and make sure that we're meeting those needs or help them get through the last years of their, you know, last decade or two of their lives with as much grace and uh, fun and uh, health as possible. So it's been a little challenging, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to go back to a normal routine uh, where I'm only responsible for me and my family, you know, media family, and uh, don't have to feel like I um, have to entertain people or have conversations. Well, this is all a little bit beside the point. What I really want to talk about is Troika, which has nothing to do with my in-laws at all. Troika has been around for a while, and it was a subject in the pilot episode of my very first podcast of Plundergrounds. Grounds. But uh, recently, there was a new edition printed at the end of a long Kickstarter period. I think the Kickstarter was maybe eight months ago or something like that. Um, I think it was just over when I... Uh, when I recorded my first episode back in September. So let's say it was you mid-summer last year that the Kickstarter was. And uh, the books came out recently. People have been getting them. And uh, they went on sale. As soon as I saw what the physical book looked like. uh, In fact, if I'd have read the rules to Troika during the Kickstarter or before it was over, I would have backed it. But since I didn't, I had to wait until they came out. And now... I um, uh, have got my book. I've ordered my book, and it is coming to me in physical form. I've got the PDF, but the PDF doesn't look as good as the physical book. It's certainly easy to read. It's just that the fonts are a little different and such, Um, the spacing between art and and text and all that. And I've I've heard that the the physical book looks better, so I'm just going to wait on the physical book to read it. Plus, I think the art is, at least in this edition, is maybe an important part of the game. I heard somebody describe Troika the other day as having a strongly implied setting, and I thought that was a funny, almost oxymoronic turn of phrase, and very accurate. It is a strong setting, and it is an implied setting, meaning the setting is not uh, very well, it's not... Well, it's not nailed down, right? <laughs> it doesn't have all the chamber pots nailed down. It could be a lot of things. It could be different for, a lot, for every group. Uh, there are going to be some commonalities, but there's also a lot of open-endedness to it. A lot that's evoked or implied. But it's done so in a very potent, strong way so that you want to create around that space. And I have decided that I am going to run a game of Troika, period. Whether I do that with my local group or whether I run it online or uh, I don't know how, it's, or you know, at a con, whatever, I'm going to run this game. Uh, I'm really intrigued by it. I, the, it and Into the Odd have have um, pushed a lot of buttons for me. I think they are thematically cousins. Uh, into the Odd and Troika, that is. And I've been reading things lately that kind of play into this. So I've been reading a lot of science fiction. Uh, been catching up on my reading of the expanse series i just finished nemesis games and uh and the short story that comes after that which is called uh oh the vital abyss and now i'm in babylon's ashes i finished the Bobiverse uh, trilogy which i mentioned on another podcast about artificial intelligences and spaceships um and uh my reading club right now is doing a slow read of Gene Wolfe's Shadow of the Torturer series, the New Sun series. Uh, I have read that before, but it's been ages ago, and I read it too fast. It's a book I think that's going to pay off better in a, what we call a slow read. By the way, this is a a, a sidecar discussion, but... Uh, slow read is an idea I introduced to our online book club a little over a year ago, so uh, beginning of 2018... I came up with this idea that uh, in the slow food movement, you have this idea where you eat really slowly, and you really consider each bite, and pay attention to you know what the food is composed of, its its smells, its texture, where it comes from. You know, you really think about what you're eating rather than just snarfing down uh, food and enjoying the sensations it gives you, and then you know, just cramming one thing in your face after another until it's over. Or having conversations that are um, at at a perpendicular angle to the food that really keeps your mind off of the food. So we, we sometimes read like that. Just read to get done so we can get to the next book. And I said, let's do a slow read where we just do a couple chapters a week. And we take a work that's rich and leveled and deep. And... Do a couple chapters a week and then discuss those chapters on a weekly basis. People can keep up or not as they like, but I suggested that uh, some of the rules of the slow reader this. You don't rush ahead. Um, It's prohibited to read ahead. Uh, So just don't let yourself do that because anticipation is part of it, part of the fun, right? Anticipating the next bite. So you can't read ahead. Um, You're not supposed to talk ahead so that people who haven't read the books before don't get a lot of spoilers. Uh, And you are, if if you fall behind, the best thing to do is not try to catch up, but just jump back in at the chapters that uh, are being read that week and just discussing those chapters. Because of the way the discussion goes, it's kind of focused on those chapters and there are some callbacks, but you can really kind of keep up just by reading that week's uh, chapters and then if you need to get up you know you can go back through the comments from a previous week just to see what happened if you don't have time to catch up on the reading but it's kind of a no guilt drop in drop out long form discussion and it's been really good so we read Lord of the Rings last year and it was one of the best readings that I've ever had of Lord of the Rings just because you know you get to really spend time with the chapters and by the way I am a Strong Tolkien apologist. I don't. There's a lot of hate for Tolkien these days, and I think it's kind of fashionable to trash him. W- whatever. If you don't like Tolkien, that's fine. I I don't I don't dislike you for not liking Tolkien. I totally get that his writing style is not for everyone. But uh, people that that go around basically pooping on Tolkien and saying he's a bad writer and that. His books are terrible and tedious, and uh, somebody called him a tedious blowhard the other day online. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding? Like, you know, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, You can love Moorcock or um, Robert Jordan or George R. R. Martin or any other fantasy author that you like without having to trash Tolkien. He is a much better writer than people give him credit for. You have to look at the time he was writing. You have to look at everything that has come before and after him, um, and you have to really appreciate where, you know, what his voice is, uh, where it's coming from and what he's building there. I actually think Lord of the Rings has a much tighter structure than most people will give it credit for. Uh, there are maybe two chapters in the whole book that I felt like were a bit of a throwaway. Uh, Tom Bombadil is a good example, and I love it. I actually think it adds a lot to the book, but it is a very mysterious chapter in the way it fits in with the overall thing. And then the other one that I can think of off the top of my head is, um, when Galadriel um, has her parting gifts and speeches, uh, that chapter is a little bit drawn out for me. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a little, I mean, a couple of the items in that chapter matter, but most of it is, you know, I couldn't wait for that chapter to be over. The rest of it I enjoyed every single chapter of, and I, I thought it was, uh, every, every bit of it was important to the overall story. Well, I am way off topic, uh, but I am going to run Troika. And I think Gene Wolf New Sun is a, a great, uh, what I want to say, complementary piece of fiction to Troika. I think it has the same kind of feel to it in some ways. Um, it's uh, baroque, meaning that there's kind of detail everywhere you look, but also it's it's there's so much. It's not all explained, right? It doesn't all make sense. The detail. Uh, it is postmodern. It is. Um, Cubistic. I mean, it's got. I keep thinking of it in artistic styles, partly because the book is so different in its artistic sensibility. But it's just a lot of interesting things going on there. So uh, I'll give you one little bit here. I've been thinking about doing the prep method that uh, Jason Cordova suggested, the seven three one method. I think that's what it is, seven three one. I'm going to go back and look at my numbers now. Uh, but I mentioned a previous podcast. So uh, one of my things is uh, uh, an NPC. Called Lineax Zi. Um, and Zi, by the way, is spelled XII, and it is, in fact, the number 12, Roman number 12. But um, this is a sort of a scanning of that to, to make the, the name Lineax Zi. Knight of the Third Kingdom, Soldier of Misfortune. Uh, I have a couple little notes written about Lineax Zi. Uh, but let me just say, first of all, he is, I guess, if you just want to say it, really simplistically. He's a a robot. He's a warforged or whatever. But I I don't know that that's going to be literally true. Um, I'll probably have him look like a hulking humanoid with lots of bits of armor uh, that he rarely takes off, uh, but can be taken off. Because I want to keep it fantasy. So... Well, I don't know. Troika really isn't. It's hard to say Troika is straight-up fantasy. It's going to be weird, right? It's weird fantasy, which means it has some science fiction elements. But I don't want, want uh, Lineax to read as a straight-up robot. So I'm thinking about making him humanoid with armor that when he takes it off, maybe it leaves little red dots on his skin, like where it's pulled out uh, leads or something, you know, <laughs> something kind of creepy. Uh, if he ever even does uh, pull his armor off around people. Um, And so I've got three notes about him. The first one is uh, memory wipe. So Lineax ZI is the veteran of some massive war in the past. He's a, if we can borrow a a phrase from metal, uh, he is a veteran of the psychic wars. Uh, now, what that means? We don't know because his memory has been wiped. So terrible things have happened to him and maybe he has some PTSD, but it's all super vague and we'll let that be discovered in the story if anything, How, uh, what his experiences were in the past and, and what this war did to him. Maybe the war itself will be an, an historical fact. Um, my next line is, stands a lot. <laughs> and uh, stands a lot means that he is so big that most furniture is not built to his scale. And so he's afraid to sit in anything that looks delicate or uncomfortable in things that are built for normal human sized figures. Now he's not a giant, but he's going to be, you know, maybe seven, you know, like NBA tall, um, and like, uh, pro wrestler bulky. Right. So just a big dude, big frame dude. Um, and then a lot of times I'll have him and maybe he's not going to be a dude. Maybe it'll be a woman. But uh, that'd be a better twist, I think. But I'll have her stand, ar- or, or maybe just genderless, but let's just say her. Um, I'll have her stand around a lot because um, it's uncomfortable for her to, to sit or to squeeze into booze and things like that. And that could be an interesting, uh, you know, that could be an interesting twist, right? What if they need to hide her or we um, need to hide, in general, the party or be conveyed in something that uh, doesn't have room for her? Okay. So, stands a lot was my next item. And then the third thing on there is I've written empty sockets. Uh, so, she's going to have a missing eye. Um, there's going to be suggestive uh, shaped concavities in her armor, like something used to click into there or fit into there, but it's missing. And I think that in itself is a story hook. So, I'm just going to. I'm not going to make those so suggestive that you could tell what, what went there. In other words, I'm not going to say there's a gun-shaped hole in her breastplate. Um, instead, I'll just say there's this weird, you know, concavity in her breastplate that has a kind of a curly cue shape and a, a kind of a, um, you know, a cylinder, missing cylinder, you know. So it just gives some ideas that things are missing, or maybe the empty eye socket has kind of a strange look to it, like it's sealed off in, in, a, in a very geometric way. And the idea is that perhaps in the adventures um, that the characters will find out what did go in that socket, and maybe even find the thing that fits into that socket. Uh, And so pieces of this character will come into play as the game progresses, if the players are interested in the character. Um, I mean, this this could just be something that happens in the background, or something maybe that not happens at all, that just makes the character interesting without uh, ever being explained, but... Call it a walking mystery, if you will. That's one thing I want to do in my Troika game. And that's it. A full episode for a Monday morning. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're looking forward to it. If you're interested in playing Troika with me online, uh, maybe now's the time to let me know. We'll figure that out. I don't, don't, you know, it's a little premature. I'm going to build for a while on this thing. But uh, my guess is I'll probably try to play on in a morning slot somewhere if I do it online, like maybe Saturday morning or something like that. So I might be very UK friendly if I've got some friends over in the UK who want to play because that would be Saturday afternoon or evening over there. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. I I don't want to commit too much just yet. I'll figure how this all fits out. And it could be that my local group wants to play it. And if that's the case, then I may play it in there or in both places. We'll see. Okay. Um, I'm Ray Otis signing off. This has been another Plundergrounds. The opening music is by Logan Howard of the Swordbreaker Zine and Podcast. You can find a gateway website to my various projects at www.rayotus.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And until next time, look out for rust monsters. Hey, one other thing. If the sound quality was a little better on this episode, let me know. I am still in CRV Studios, but I have done the high-tech tweak of putting my favorite sweatshirt over my steering wheel and tucking my phone into it so that it has a little bit of sound padding, and I'm hoping that makes things sound a little bit less tinny. If you think the sound quality is better, let me know. If you think it's worse, let me know.